The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'd like to return this morning to the book of Malachi. Lord willing, this will be uh, the last message, concluding message in the uh, book of Nehemiah. And then we've seen the book of Malachi is tied to the latter portion of the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 13. And we want to, uh, let's just go ahead and turn to Malachi chapter 3 and read our text this morning, verses 16 through 18. We'll read that and then set the context back for you. Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. Then, we'll get to the then in a minute. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine saith the Lord of hosts in that day when I make up my jewels, I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. So in the midst of this environment, uh, if you remember uh, 12 years after the revival and the rebuilding of the wall, in uh, the earlier portion of Nehemiah's leadership in Jerusalem, he goes back to Persia, and that leadership vacuum uh, allows the people to revert back to the same mistakes that they that they make and we make over and over and over again. And the book of Malachi continues to expound on that particular environment that they were dealing with there in Nehemiah chapter 13. And if you remember from Nehemiah, uh, they were intermarrying in marrying uh, Gentile people that were given to idolatry and that, that false worship was beginning to creep in. They were not observing the Sabbath day. Um, they were not having a proper separation between the Gentiles and the heathen. That is according to the word of God in the Old Testament. And then we see some more issues highlighted in the book of Malachi, in the in um, the first chapter, if you remember, uh, we tried to highlight for you last time that the the real symptom or, or the real cause of all these symptoms that are being displayed is because of their lack of awareness, a lack of reminding of truly God's love for them. God reaffirms His love for them. Malachi chapter one and verse two. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Do you really love us, Lord? If you really love us, uh, everything would all be cupcakes and roses, and we would have plenty of money in the bank. We wouldn't have any challenges. We wouldn't have any, any struggles. We wouldn't have any health problems. Well, that's not life, is it? In this world, ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Why? Because I have overcome the world, right? So the root cause that displayed itself in many of these symptoms is being 
a forgetful hearer, so to say, to use New Testament language, a forgetful hearer of God's love toward, toward his people. And some of the symptoms that were displayed because of that is them offering uh, polluted sacrifices to the Lord. They were giving the Lord uh, the leftovers and the lame and the sick instead of giving the Lord the very best offerings that they had to offer. And there was uh, corruption and lack of reverence among spiritual leadership and the priests and the Levites. And there are problems with idolatry in chapter 2, problems with divorce in chapter 2, and that is the environment that is displayed for us in the very last portion of inspired scripture before the 400 silent years before the Lord's first coming, okay? So if things look bad now, things look bad in Nehemiah 13. By the way, going back to Nehemiah 13, you see how hot and how upset Nehemiah was about all that, but you really don't see a repentance of the people at all. Uh, you see one man that had uh, a zeal for the Lord's house. You see one man that had a righteous indignation for the things that were going on, but what you don't see is all of the people repenting that you see in many other places. And obviously, if the attitude of the people is being displayed here in the book of Malachi where they, they don't see any problem with what they're doing. They're disrespectfully and irreverently back-talking the Lord every time he rebukes them. Uh, there was no repentance because they saw no need for repentance. Uh, so just kind of encapsulate that environment for you and then think about how dark it was after 400 years of the Lord not sending any prophet to call the people to repent. And that was the spiritual environment, even though people were going through the motions of religion. There were still a lot of sacrifices taking place in a very ornate temple. You know, at this point, the temple, it's rebuilt, um, but it's, it's still very basic. But there came a time where Herod really um, improved in a, in a natural sense the, the edifice and, and the uh, natural appearance of that temple. So that temple looked really good, and there were sacrifices that were going on every day, and there were people uh, giving the pretense of religion. They were standing on the, on the street corners and praying aloud so everybody could hear them, right? All the problems that we see with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So there was the pretense of religion, but it was a time of abject spiritual darkness, okay? <clears throat> so that's when, that's the backdrop for the Lord's first coming, okay? And that's what we find here in Malachi chapter 3. Behold, I will send my messenger, that's John the Baptist, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. The Lord whom you seek shall come suddenly to his temple. And that's what Jesus did, right? And boy, what did he do when he got in that temple? He, he, purged it, right? He did it twice, by the way. He did it the first time he went into Jerusalem and threw over the table of the money changers, and I can't remember which time it was, but he got a whip, and he, uh, he purged them out. And that was the Lord's opinion of what was happening in the temple because they had made it a house of merchandise instead of a house of prayer. So this, this is displaying the Lord's first coming uh, at the beginning of chapter 3, 
And if, if this is certainly true of this uh, environment 400 years before uh, the silent years, it's, it was certainly true of uh, the spiritual environment when Jesus came that we find in the rest of chapter 3. So to highlight some of this stuff, uh, again, chapter 3 and verse 1 is prophesying the coming ministry of John the Baptist, prophesying the, the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these are, again, some attributes of this generation, but no doubt these attributes were just exponentially worse when Jesus came the first time, okay? Uh, we're not in the book of Malachi very much, so uh, I think it's always appropriate to read verse 6 in Malachi chapter 3. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Amen, right? We sure are thankful for the immutable nature of God. He's not going to love you one day and hate you the next because you committed a sin that caused you to lose your eternal salvation. He didn't love you on the tree of the cross, but you didn't accept him and you didn't repent, etc., etc. And then he's going to cast you in hell at the end of time. God does not change. God does not lie. God cannot fail and because of that, that's the reason we can have the hope of eternal security, right? His, his love is not fickle like ours. And, and have an affection towards someone one day, and then the next day they do me wrong, and then uh, they're, they're my sworn enemy. God does not change. And because of that, because of that, we can take comfort that God's people that have been redeemed by Jesus on the tree of the cross will not be consumed by the wrath of Almighty God. But then, during this time period... Uh, they were not giving to the support of the temple in the manner that they ought to. Will a man rob God? Verse 8. Yet ye have robbed me. Wherein have you robbed me? In tithes and offerings. Um, you're cursed with a curse. For ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. You know, he tells them a couple generations before this in the book of Haggai when they were neglecting the rebuilding of the temple, but they were rebuilding their own houses, their own sealed houses. He said, you... Uh, you sow much, but you bring in little. And the reason for that is because I blow up on it. And what he's saying there is that because of your neglect of God's house, you could be reaping tremendous harvests. But I'm causing you to put your money into a, into a bag with holes in it. So the problem is, is not finances. Finances is not the problem at all. The problem is the way you're using what you've been trusted with, entrusted with by the Lord, and you're not honoring him with what you've been entrusted with. And if you do that, the Lord will certainly provide for all of your needs. Verse 10, bring ye tithes into the storehouse. If there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now. Prove me now. If you, if you don't think I'm telling the truth, just have a little test run. Try it out and see if I don't bless you more than you can handle. Because our God is just that good. But there was this environment in this generation that um, said a lot, of this, a lot of these problems, I think, are summarized with this statement right here in verse 14. Yet ye have said it is vain to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept this ordinance and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? What are we going to get out of it? And... Uh, what I'm trying to frame for you is that this, some of these attributes of the spiritual environment that we see in this day, I believe is very indicative of the spiritual environment that we see among Christianity today. And there's a buzz phrase in 
Christianity today, the seeker-sensitive movement that, you know, I want to go and find a church that is palatable to me, that meets my criteria, that makes me feel comfortable. And what they're really saying, if you, if you approach the kingdom of God, and if you approach church that way, is that this is really all about me, right? It's what can I get out of it? And if I can't get anything out of it, then it's vain and empty for me to serve the Lord. If I'm not going to get something out of it, then what's the point in doing it anyway? Well, remember, we have to go back to Malachi chapter 1 and verse 2, right? Why? Why do you serve the Lord? It's not so you can get something out of it. It's because he loved you. <laughs> it's because of his love towards you of why you serve the Lord. And it is a blessed, this is our focus this morning. As we fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ that fear the Lord, that's a tremendous blessing to have friendships that we can rely upon, people that we can count on. But that fellowship for with those that fear the Lord is not solely with them. That fellowship is with Jesus Christ, okay? And that is our desire when we serve the Lord is to feel that approving confirmation of the Holy Spirit on our conscience that tells us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And when you do that, you have a special fellowship and communion with Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. I mean, that's what, you know, heaven will be great with no sickness, no death, um, all, no darkness, just all the light of Jesus Christ expounding upon us on the 24, there's no 24-7 anymore, but an eternal basis. But what is heaven? What is the substance of heaven? It is perfect, unending, unfiltered fellowship with Jesus Christ. That's heaven. That's heaven. And that's why we can experience that right here and right now in the kingdom of heaven. We can experience it with the limitations that we have, you know, we can't, we can't handle the fullness of Christ's fellowship in these sinful bodies. Because if he did manifest, he told Moses that, if I manifested myself fully to you, you would be eviscerated. Because God's a consuming fire and your sinful body can't handle it. That's why our bodies are going to have to be glorified before we can enjoy the fullness of the fellowship of God. But that is why we serve the Lord. That's why we invest ourselves in the kingdom of God. Not what I can get out of it. So people look at that and say, what, what am I going to get out of it? The answer is nothing. Then what's the point? Well, you've missed the point. <laughs> if you're asking that question, you've missed the point. And if you think it's vain to serve the Lord, then you have a too low, irreverent view of the Lord you're serving. Okay? Which is really... All this stuff that they're exhibiting here in the book of Malachi, that's essentially what they're saying. Very irreverent. You know, yes, these, you know, I don't believe that these are condemning um, unregenerate. The Word of God is not written to the world and unregenerate people, right? Now, understand the Old Testament Israel is, is in many ways figurative of the church, Probably not every single physical person that was dwelling in Jerusalem was born again child of God. However, it is figurative of the elect family of God. So, 
it is possible for even those that are born again by the Spirit of God that love the Lord down in there somewhere, but over time their conscience has got seared, they've been conformed to the world instead of being transformed, and they have a form of godliness and they deny the power thereof. So they're born again, but on a day-in, day-out basis, they are not walking in a fear and a reverence of God. So notice the, uh, the identifying attribute here. In the midst of this ungodly, spiritually lukewarm at best, probably dead cold environment, who are the people that, those that were serving the Lord, who did they gravitate to to spend time with to, yes, encourage one another, yes, to build personal friendships, but we fellowship with Jesus Christ personally when we fellowship with those who are the children of God, right? So what's the identifying attribute? Um, if we think about it today uh, in the church, born-again children of God that are more carnal than fervent, more um, worldly than spiritual. They have the law of God written in their heart, but they're not walking on a day-in, day-out basis in a reverence and a fear of God. Notice the identifying attribute for those that are fellowshipping together. What did they have in common? What did they have in common? Verse 16, then in the midst of this environment, in the midst of the spiritually cold environment, the spiritually dark environment, then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. What was their unifying common attribute that brought them together in the midst of this dark spiritual environment? Even when people were, again, they were going through the motions in the temple, right? There were people that had the form of godliness. What drew these people together? It is a common fear and reverence of the Lord, right? And I want us to understand, especially as we continue closer and closer. We don't know how, how long, but I know it's the closest that we've ever been until the second coming of the Lord. And it sure seems to me, if we don't stick our head in the sand, that we are in the midst of a falling away among God's people. Um, there's no reason we can't have revival on a local individual basis, but the general disposition of Christianity is not be becoming more fervent and devoted. It's becoming more lukewarm and carnal and worldly and cold, right? The church is looking, and I say the church, I'm not talking about the primitive Baptist church. I'm talking about Christianity as a whole. It's starting to look more and more and more like the world, right? And then you want a litmus test? You want a litmus test? I mean, it's not my place to throw other denominations under the bus, but denominations that are openly accepting homosexuals into their, not just their community, but to give them a, a teaching authority? I mean, that is, I mean, we know that that's directly contradictory to the Word of God, but listen, that's making the church look just like the world, you see? And the darker and darker that not just the world gets, but carnal Christians get, well, those of us that hopefully are devoted to the cause of Christ, the thing that we should gravitate 
to the most are those that are wanting to let their light shine, right? And that is the, that's the brightest and it's the closest among the, the members of the Primitive Baptist Church. But also, if you've worked in a, in a uh, environment in, in the workplace or in school or other environments, you know, there's some people that, that probably will never become a Primitive Baptist. I mean, they'll never accept election. They'll never understand it. But you know what? If I'm in the middle of a workplace where people are trying to cut corners and they cuss all the time and they're telling dirty jokes and all this, just the general disposition of being around people, right, and out in the world, if I find somebody that loves Jesus Christ and wants to talk about Jesus Christ and exhibits a fear of the Lord, I can have great, I, I want to gravitate to that person to have more fellowship with them in the workplace. And who knows, that may be the kindling that in, in time maybe they become a primitive Baptist. But listen, we need, uh, we need to uphold the truth of God's word, no doubt about it, okay? And we're not going to compromise one inch in the church of the Primitive Baptist Church here at Macedonia. But listen, we need to have the mindset of having as much fellowship as possible with believers in Jesus Christ the darker and darker this world gets, okay? Which, by the way, those kind of relationships, you know, we talked a long time ago, it wasn't that long ago, Book of Acts, about relationship evangelism. You building that relationship with them, that's probably your best case scenario to possibly draw them in to the great blessings that we have in the kingdom of God. But listen, sometimes as Primitive Baptists, we, we've had a real uh, problem of presenting things that we're right, everybody else is wrong, or at least we, we present it that way. And you don't need to fellowship the world. Listen, there's a lot of great, God-loving, God-fearing people. And if you live in the middle and work in the middle of a dark workplace that people act like, they act like the world, boy, give me good fellowship with a good Jesus-loving Southern Baptist and Methodist, <laughs> right? Then me being in the middle of just all this darkness and not having someone to talk about the Lord with. However, however... There is a closer intimacy of fellowship with those that we are like-minded believers with that uphold the doctrines of salvation by grace alone and simplistic worship and all the attributes that we see in the New Testament scriptures that identify the Lord's church. Okay? <clears throat> so I want to look at this twofold. First of all, it is vitally important that us as members of Macedonia, members of the Lord's church, that we make a commitment to fellowship together as a church body. But that is not limited to the members of Macedonia Church. Who, who is the people that we gravitate to fellowship with? Those that fear the Lord, that are walking in a reverence of God. You know, um, if someone puts that... You know, a Jesus fish on your, on your bumper, and you, you give uh, the pretense that you're a Christian, but you act just like the world, you're not displaying a great reverence of God in your public witness, okay? Now, I want to be as positive of an influence as I can to that person, right? You're not a, don't be a jerk to anybody. Even if they're uh, your enemies, you still got to love them too, right? So don't be a jerk to anybody, but... That is not the person. If they're not displaying a fear of the Lord in their actions, that's not a person that I should gravitate to.
to having a close, intimate degree of friendship and fellowship with. Now, you want to be as much salt and light to them because hey, maybe they're a carnal Christian and maybe, maybe that's just they, they think that's the way things are. Maybe you exhibiting that light to them is something that can show them that they're not reverencing the Lord in a manner that you ought to. But at the same time, we can be a positive influence by just letting our light shine. But those should not be those that we gravitate to fellowship with and speak of. Those that display in their life a reverence and a fear of God, it's so vitally important the darker and darker that this world gets, that those that are children of light fellowship together to strengthen one another in the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? And that's absolutely true among the Primitive Baptist Church and the members of Macedonia, but it also applies in not as close of an intimate fellowship, but it also applies to every child of God that's truly displaying by their actions a reverence and a fear of the Lord, okay? First of all, <clears throat> the word fellowship. The word fellowship. In the New Testament, um, it is also many times commonly translated as communion, right? And we have uh, here at Macedonia twice a year, we have a communion service where we exhibit the, uh, observe the Lord's Supper and we wash one another's feet but notice the, um, the etymology, the breakdown of that word, communion. It comes from common union, right? Common union. What's the basis of the word union? Unity, okay? So I have union and I have unity. What's the basis of our common unity? What is it? The Lord, right? The fear of the Lord. So what's the basis of my communion, my common unity, my fellowship with those that are the closest to that encourage me uh, in my walk of discipleship? What is the identifying attribute that we unify under? The fear of the Lord, right? I have common unity. I have common union with them. And I have fellowship with them. Another sub-definition of uh, fellowship or communion, the Greek there in the New Testament, is joint participation. Joint participation. And unfortunately, I'm to the age now, the point now where um, there's a lot of people who used to be closer friends uh, in times past that due to all the excuses that everybody makes when they get older, right? Uh, my friendships have really faded with them. You, you don't keep up communications with them in the manner that you ought to. And every, hey, they're busy, I'm busy. Um, life happens. Uh, and people I went to college with, they're, they're good folks, you know. I think they're children of God and serving the Lord in the degree that they have. But, you know, I'm not going to spend all of my time, especially in my role, uh, my responsibility as a pastor, I'm not going to invest all my time in friendships that I had as a 20-year-old that our main uh, common union. I want to make sure that we we understand our our real fellowship and friendship. That the meat of that is whatever our common union is, right? And my common union is not necessarily that I'm an alumni of the same high school, right? Uh, 
that I, I can't carry that banner uh, too far if you don't live in a manner that reverences and fears the Lord, right? My common union for people is not that we're alumni of the same high school. My common union is not that we're alumni of the Ackerson School of Accountancy, that we went to school together. My, my common union is not with people who are not even accountants, those, those that, are, uh, that I went to school with in, at Mississippi State uh, and other, you know, extracurricular activities you have, whatever environment you're in, you're going to have relationships with people and you're going to have friendships with people. But I have, over time, tried to invest myself more in relationships where my common union is primarily not a high school affiliation or a college affiliation or an athletic team affiliation, but my common union is with those that fear the Lord, that love the Lord, and especially those that love the Primitive Baptist Church. But I've also been removed far enough from some of those prior friendships that they they faded. They faded, and you know we're still friends on Facebook, and it's nice. I can see their I can see their kids, you know, from time to time. But do we text? Do we call? No, we don't. No, we don't. But you know what? This is some degree of an excuse, um, but it's also it's also true too. Uh, you can make time for any friendship that you really want to invest in, and if you don't really see the value in investing in that, there's some friendships that I'm okay just letting them, letting them fade a little. I'll, I'll see you at our 20-year high school reunion, and that's okay. I'm okay with that, <laughs> right? We, we don't have to talk every week. I'm okay with that, you know? Uh, but there's other ones that I believe can be beneficial for me in a spiritual sense that I want to invest in. But notice, the point I'm making here is that fellowship and communion requires a two-way street, right? Joint participation. Fellowship has to go both directions. And, you know, some people I try with, and it just doesn't click. It just doesn't click. And part of that's on me, no doubt about it. I'm not a skilled orator. I'm not, I'm not a very personable person in my, in my nature. I, I try. <laughs> I do what I can. But it didn't come out easy. But it takes someone else willing to make the effort too, right? It takes communion and fellowship in both directions. I'm making the effort and they're making the effort. So that, that's kind of what I absolve myself with, you know, with friendships that's faded. Well, you know, they haven't called me either. Right. Uh, but most of the time when it fades, it'll, it usually fades in both directions, right? Because you agree to have fellowship, and even if it's by silence, sometimes you agree to let that fellowship fade. Or if, especially if they're in a situation where they're being a very detrimental or... Um, cancerous or corrosive impact in your walk of discipleship, sometimes I have to be the person to sever that fellowship, right? It's not just that it fades, it's that we cannot spend time together in a close friendship because you are detrimental to my growth in the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? <clears throat> but notice this, in the midst of this environment, spiritually dark environment, those that were the children of light gravitated to fearing the Lord, 
to those that fear the Lord together. And notice the Lord's response to this. Okay? The Lord hearkened and heard it. Obviously, there was some communication that was happening, right? When they spake often one to another. And a book of remembrance. The Lord takes such special note when his children meet together under the common union and fellowship of him. Hold on, let's put a pin in that. Let's put a pin in that. Let's go to 1 John chapter 1. Okay, 1 John chapter 1. I want to make sure we understand. I'm so thankful for friendships, personal friendships, where we do have maybe some common interest, uh, some common uh, things that we're involved in. But when we are fellowshipping with brothers and sisters in Christ, our if our common union and our common identifying attribute that bands us together is the fear of the Lord, then our conversation should not necessarily look like and sound like every other conversation we have with all the people in the world, okay? So, yes, when you're building relationships and when you're building friendships, you got to start with the basics, right? You know, let me get to know you. Let's, uh, let's hear about your family and your work and, you know, what your interests are. But if the, the children of God, if us as members of the church, if our communication, if our fellowship is primarily about the weather or politics or athletic teams, Mississippi State Athletics, if all we're ever talking about is sports, the weather, politics, tell me how that looks any different than just the small talk, no depth conversations you have with people in multitudes of different situations where you're forced to force to have small talk with people, right? What is the identifying attribute that should be the, the main thing that we're talking about? What is it? It's the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord. So if our conversation sounds exactly like the conversation that I make with the person down at the gas station while I'm picking up my breakfast and we're just making small talk about, oh, man, how about this cold front that's coming in? You know, I mean, like, whatever. You, you know how people talk. You know, you're forced to have a two-minute kind of awkward, at least for me, kind of awkward conversation with somebody. And these are the things that I talk about, right? Oh, you know, we're in Starkville. Everybody, oh, man. How about Mississippi State, right? You know, you know. Uh, I, I have phone calls with people uh, at work, and they know I live in Starkville, so it's always like, "How's Starkville? Oh, it's good." You know, and, and I've just got, I've just got to push through those first sixty seconds of the phone call because I know it's gonna be awkward uh, because you know I'm just not fluid in those kind of conversations. But if my conversations with the people of God sound exactly like the no depth small talk conversations that I have with people every single day, then we're missing the point of fellowship, okay? Because the reason we have, I mean, now, understand, to build relationships, you got to start small, right? <laughs> right? 
So I'm not saying we never talk about those things because we need to show people that we're invested in them and we care about what's important to them. But if that is all that, especially just here as the church at Macedonia, okay, if our conversation is primarily about small talk in the world, then we are missing the point of fellowship because the point of fellowship is, yes, I want to have friendship with you. Yes, I want us to build a common unity and a love together. But the reason why fellowship is so dynamically important on our, in our daily lives and especially the darker the world gets is because it's through our fellowship with like-minded believers and our discussion of spiritual things that we are recharged in the same way we're recharged in worship because when, when the conversation changes from politics and the weather and all these things of the world, when it changes to Jesus Christ, now all of a sudden I'm having fellowship with Jesus Christ. Okay, so we come to public worship and I've had a tough week. I've, I've been stressed. I've been struggling. I've had, you know, multiple different things, whatever that looks like for you. Okay, and I come and when I invest myself in the song service and I start singing, all of a sudden, you know, those burdens get a little bit lighter, right? I start getting a little bit of spring in my step and, and, and I set my affection on things above and not on things beneath. Do you want to know what that is? That's not, there's not anything special about the sheetrock in here. There's not anything special about the siding. You want to know what that is? Jesus has promised you, if you invest yourself in the song service, Jesus has promised you that if you sing in the church, Jesus Christ is going to come and sing with you. You want to know what that is? When you invest yourself, and I want to come in, Macedonia, I am glad y'all sing. Well, I tell you, you know, we go to some, go to some churches and people either they don't sing. I know they love the Lord, but they refuse to sing and they use, uh, listen, if anybody can use an excuse of not being a good singer for not singing, there's a lot of people that can use that excuse, and I'm one of them. But you know what? Don't use that as an excuse for not publicly displaying your joy in the Lord by singing. Because what you're depriving yourself of, if you just sit there, and I'm glad I'm not talking about anybody here, <laughs> but if you just sit there and you just don't sing, Jesus is really just knocking on the door that I want to sing with you, and you're saying, oh, uh, you know, I sound bad. I don't want to sing with you, Jesus, because I don't like the way I sound. The reason why you're encouraged in the midst of the song service is because of what? When you sing, all of a sudden something starts happening, and you start having fellowship with Jesus Christ, you see? And then when you feel the Spirit of God in the midst of the prayers... You feel Jesus Christ in the midst of it. You, when you feel the Spirit of God and the preaching of the Word, that's when Jesus Christ comes and ministers. So the, when we go to worship and we're refreshed, you know, we come in with burdens and with struggle, and with, man, this world's horrible. I can't wait to get to church on Sunday. And then you have a reprieve from that. You want to know why you feel that reprieve? It's not because you came to this location. You want to know what it is? It is the presence of Jesus Christ. And you can have now, now it doesn't replicate worship and you better not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Okay? But listen, you can have that same relieving of burdens and encouragement 
When you make a commitment to fellowship with those that fear the Lord, because when two or three are gathered together, you know, people, us old Baptists, you know, we always want to make our make ourselves feel good for not having anybody anybody here. Where two or three are gathered together, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, amen, amen. Praise God, he is, right? By the way, the context there is reconciling uh, problems. It's reconciling trespasses. And if he's there in the, in the midst of that kind of a situation, you know he's there if everyone's there in unity uh, with a desire to worship the Lord. But, uh, you know, bless our heart, we use that as an excuse for not, not evangelizing, not having anybody show up to church, okay? But listen, the point there remains that if two, that's it, that's what it takes, two, Two or three are gathered together in what? In the name of Mississippi State Athletics. In the name of the Republican Party. If two are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And you know what? There might, praise God that, oh me, we praise God for the First Amendment, okay? That we've been given this blessing of the freedom of religion in America. But listen, there may come a time where that's limited. There have been children of God of the old Baptist church, the primitive, original church that have not had the ability to go to public worship on the Lord's day. But you know what? They can still fellowship together and feel fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ when two or three of them meet together, okay? So if the time comes where we are limited to, to show up to this physical location because the authorities are have it staked out and they're going to arrest anybody that shows up, you know, God forbid. But if that ever happens, we are not limited in fellowshipping with Jesus Christ. You want to know all it takes? You want to know all it takes? A couple devoted people in the home of members of the church. You know, we, we brag about being primitive original Baptist. That is being a primitive original Baptist. They do not have a external meeting house, right? What made that meeting special? Fellowship with Jesus Christ. Okay? Okay. First John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and, and, and show unto me the, the eternal life which was uh, with the Father and which was manifested unto us. What John's saying here is that, you know, he's the one, the, the Apostle John, the Apostle of Love, that is, is described as, as um, the one whom Jesus loved. And he put his, his hand in, the, in uh, his head in close brotherly love affection on the bosom of the Son of God. And he said, I was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. I put my, my head upon his bosom. And you know what? I had fellowship with him in, in the God manifest in the flesh, the second person of the Godhead. I touched him with my hands. I heard his voice. But you know what? What he says here in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship, see people are coming together. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And boy, that's, that's such a powerful point, isn't it? Because what John is, is hammering home to these first century disciples is that you don't feel like that, that you are deprived 
of not having as close a fellowship with Jesus Christ as I had because I touched him with my physical hands and I heard him with my physical ear. You have just as much ability to fellowship with the Son of God as I did in the physical sense. And one of the ways we, which we enter into that fellowship is by fellowshipping one with another. Okay? So I want you to view fellowship the same way you view worship. Okay? When I, you know, because it, it may be, you know, I have some obligations at work during uh, certain times, and maybe there's going to be certain times. I'm not able to come to a Wednesday night service. I'm not able to come to a, uh, a Bible study. And boy, it's Tuesday. Boy, it's a long way till Sunday, right? <laughs> um, now, one of the ways, now, certainly we can fellowship with the Lord individually, no doubt, right? We can feel that fellowship with Jesus Christ in our daily devotions of prayer and Bible reading and singing, really. And you can invest yourself in that. But you know what? Maybe I'm not going to be able, due to various obligations, I'm not going to be able to come to church on a Wednesday night to get that pickup or whatever it is. But you know what I can do? And by the way, we're running out of time. God ordained family for you to have that ability all the time. But let's say I don't have a family. You know what I can do? I can call a brother and sister in Jesus Christ. And by the way, while I see myself being falling into the trap of laziness so much of text messaging. Text messaging is so convenient. Oh, it's so convenient. But listen, you can, you can get some encouraging verses if you text a brother and sister in Christ. But boy, it just, it hits different when you hear their voice telling you the same thing. Okay? And, I, and boy, I'm such a lazy texter. You know, I, what am I? Generation, I don't know what generation I am. Am I millennial? I can't remember. But I am, yeah. But even me as a millennial, <laughs> I really don't want to call that many people. I'm saying that as a pastor. God forbid, right? I mean, that's my nature because texting is so easy. It's so convenient. And you can get, you can get a touch of fellowship with that. You know, you can get a little bit. Boy, it's, but it's nothing like hearing somebody's voice. And it's nothing like you saying, listen, I'm struggling. I don't have anything to do tonight. Can we have supper? Can I come over and see you? And let's talk about the Lord. If you, if you come and you talk about, if you make that commitment, don't show up and talk about politics. That's not your common unity, okay? What I'm saying is, there is so much power in fellowship. We, we, we exalt worship as we ought to, right? But do you want to know the reason why? You, the, the darker this world gets, we have to be recharged and reset to strengthen us to go back out and fight a good fight on Monday when we get depleted, when we get tired. And worship does that, doesn't it? Worship does that. But fellowship can do that too. You see what I'm saying? Fellowship can do that too. Because it's not about me saying, oh man, I have to wait till Sunday so I can go to the physical location. No, what I need is the fellowship of Jesus Christ. I need the strength of Jesus Christ, okay? And one of the main ways that you purposefully enter into that fellowship with Jesus Christ, no doubt in worship, no doubt in private devotions, but by you speaking, let's go back to Malachi, 
chapter 3. They that feared the Lord spake, notice this, often one to another. Now, what does often look like? It looks like often, okay? Uh, you know, what that frequency is. And I use today's excuse, you know, I, I totally get we're in a different environment. Uh, we, we do not live the same life, praise God, that they did in the first century where everyone lived in this community and everyone went to the, you know, uh, the, the market to buy your food. We use Kroger pickup and we love it. And if it was up to us, many ways outside of church, we wouldn't leave the house. But, you know, we got to repent of that because we need to evangelize, right? Uh, we need to be witnesses. But we live in a different environment, no doubt. But we cannot use that different environment as an excuse to not speak often one to another, okay? But notice what the Lord does. Boy, don't, Maybe the Lord might be gracious to us and give us another child for Zachary to play with at some point. But in, envisioning in my head uh, as a parent, boy, wouldn't it be special to, to look at your kids and to see them in agreement, which is a, hey, <laughs> if that happens, praise God, right? But if they enjoy one another's company and they want to spend time with one another, and then you see them, they could, go, they could go do anything, right? They could go do anything, but I wanna spend time with someone that's in my family, with someone that I love, and you see them spending time together and them exhibiting so much joy being together, I can just envision that that just radiates the heart of the parent, right? And if that's how we would feel, how much more so would Jesus look on his children getting together for the sole purpose of speaking about the blessings of the Lord in their life. And not only does he hearken, not only does he listen, but, you know, uh, you know, I don't feel like I'm old yet, but I still really have to write stuff down for, for to remember it, right? And God's omnipotent. He doesn't need to write anything down. But you want to know what he does when he hears his you know, through his perfect omniscience, and he hears his children meeting together to talk about him. You know what he does? The Lord's speaking our language for us, right? Uh, you know, is there, is there a physical scroll up in heaven? You know, maybe, probably not, but he's speaking our language. He takes such special note when we fellowship together, the Lord says, I'm gonna go out of my way to write that occurrence and their names in a book of remembrance. And, you know, I just feel like the more we're in that book, the better days we're going to have, right? <laughs> I feel like the more that we commit to that and the more that we're in the Lord's book of fellowship and the Lord's book of remembrance, everything is going to be so much better. We have to understand the power. Yes, the blessing. Of, I'm so thankful for personal friendships. But the real end of that is fellowship with Jesus Christ, okay? And he takes such special note of this that he has a book of remembrance that when that happens, I want to make sure I jot it down. <laughs> Again, speaking our language. A book of remembrance was written, <clears throat> was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon him. First of all, they spake often one to another and that word thought gives the idea of meditation. And boy, if there's any um, Y'all pray for me. You know, I try to I try to get my sermons together. 
you know, to make sure the sheep are fed. But boy, I am so neglectful in meditating on God's word. And boy, I've got all, all the excuses in the world. <laughs> but we are called to meditate on God's word. And by the way, it, all this is just so interconnected. The more you meditate on God's word, who are you going to want to, what are you going to want to talk about? You're going to want to talk about God's word. And who are you going to talk to about God's word? People who also know God's word, who also love God's word, who listen to the same sermon you did last Sunday. The more I meditate on God's word, it's, I'm naturally going to gravitate to fellowship with people who also fear the Lord and who also love his word, right? One just feeds the other. And notice this, verse 17. They shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts in that day, when I will make up my jewels and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. That word jewels there, I will make up my jewels. In Exodus chapter 19, verse, 20, verse 5. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure. That's the same Hebrew word. He says, I'm going to view these people, you know, people really, um, really extol and put a lot of value on what they perceive to be their most valuable jewelry, right? And you may insure it. You're going to put it in a protective, uh, even more so than the Walmart stuff, right? You're going you're gonna to protect it. And he says, I view all of his children, no doubt his jewels, but as a parent, aren't you just so, don't you just desire more fellowship with parent, with children who exhibit that they love you and they're obedient, they're not brats all the time? Don't you, don't you enjoy fellowship with them a little bit more, <laughs> right? And he says, now we're all the jewels of the Lord and we're all his peculiar treasure, but listen, he says, I take special note and I write it down and you are my jewel. You are my peculiar trip. Doesn't that just do your heart good for the Lord to remind you that you are my peculiar treasure. You are my jewels. Isn't that amazing? He sent his son into this world to die for our sins. Why? Because we are the pearl of great price that he was willing to send his son to die for. We are his jewels. We are his peculiar treasure. And you want to know why he sent his son to die for you? Because he desired eternal fellowship with you in heaven. You see that? And if he desired that kind of eternal fellowship with you, why would we ever deprive ourselves or neglect the, the degree of fellowship we can have with him here this side of heaven in the kingdom of heaven, right? Okay. Um, Let's summarize chapter 4 very quickly, okay? Chapter 4, I think, is a prophecy of the Lord's second coming, okay? Dark environment. Chapter 3 is the messenger and the Lord's first coming, and it will be a very dark spiritual environment before the Lord's second coming. And, that, and, and the fellowship of the saints will become more and more and more and more vital and important the farther we go in history, the more of a falling away that we see, the more lukewarm Christianity as a whole gets. It becomes vitally, vitally important that we commit to fellowship one to another, okay? This is talking about the Lord's second coming. Behold, the day cometh 
that shall burn up as an oven. And all the proud, and yea, all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And when he comes back, this earth is going to be melted with fervent heat. Okay? He's going to burn up this, this earth at his second coming. But notice this special promise to those. And again, I don't know what it's going to look like before the Lord's second coming, but there will be persecution. There will be uh, the man of sin that to the degree that the Lord suffers him will have some degree of, of influence and persecution and and we probably won't be able to meet for public worship during that time period. We're probably going to have to operate kind of like China and underground church and all this kind of stuff. But notice this promise, verse 2, unto them that fear my name. Those that are committed to speaking often one to another. Those that are committed to fellowshipping together. What is the promise for those that fear his name? Shall the son of righteousness, that's S-U-N, that's not S-O-N, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and he shall go forth and grow up as the cows of the salt. I think that's beautiful imagery of the second coming of the Lord right there. Okay? Now, uh, continuing on, verse 5. Um, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. John the Baptist came in the spirit and the power of Elijah before the Lord's, second, uh, before the Lord's first coming. And I, I, I believe... The man, when the man of sin is revealed, he's going to have a false prophet. There's going to be a lot of deception, and the Lord will not be left without a witness. I believe there, you know, personally, I think Revelation chapter 11 is fairly literal instead of symbolic, and I think the Lord is going to establish witnesses to do mighty, miraculous things similar to Moses and Elijah that will combat the false signs and wonders that the false prophet is doing for the man of sin, okay? Too big to, to go down that rabbit hole. The point is that during that time, what is so important? Yes, fellowship among the saints, but you know what? There may come a time, and saints have had this, this issue in, in times past, where we are not able to meet collectively as a church. You want to know what you still have? You have your family. You have your family. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So even if we are unable to meet for public worship or even to fellowship with the saints, God has given his people the blessing of family. Okay? He's given his people the blessing of family. And that's why it's so important that we're not unequally yoked with unbelievers. Because how are you going to have that common unity to fellowship with them and to receive that encouragement that you need on a daily basis if they're not serving the Lord, okay? But it's vitally important that we commit to fellowship in a church setting, fellowship in our families, to invest in teaching our family. I didn't have a chance to go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, that we've been talking about in the last days, perilous times are going to come, have a form of godliness, but not in the power thereof. Evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And that is where we find in chapter 3 that beautiful testimony of the divine inspiration of God, uh, the divine inspiration of, of the Scriptures. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. But what he says before that is that you hold fast to the things that you have been taught. And he wouldn't talk by his dad. Timothy had a Greek dad 
that did not teach him the word of God. You want to know who taught him the word of God? His mother and his grandmother. And what he's saying there is when everything starts falling apart, you go back to the truth of God's word that has been instilled in you by the commitment of your family to teach you the word of God. Okay? So, how is that going to happen unless the family has been purposeful to teach their children the word of God at a young age? Well, we better dump everything we can into our kids' heads before age 8, before age 10. Because if we don't get the advantage before age 10, boy, the rest of the world is going to really confuse them after that. But you know what? We are, as parents, we are the main influence for them, especially at that young age. And you want to know what you need to be teaching them. Hey, you can sing fun little songs, okay? You can sing fun little songs for It's Bitsy Spider and, and all that. We're, 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 we're learning some of that right now. But you know what? You, you have got to invest in teaching your children the Word of God, okay? And when you do that, I would encourage you also... Make the commitment to have family devotion and family worship. Because it gives you, if you build that into your schedule, you're going to have the ability to teach those children on a daily basis, okay? And it also builds unity in the family. And it gives you that opportunity of fellowship, you see? You know, I may not have that opportunity to uh, go to public worship for a few more days. But you know what? We can have a family devotion. We can sing some songs. We can read the Word of God. We can have prayer. And I'll tell you, Jesus Christ, if we make a commitment to do that with the right attitude, Jesus Christ is going to come down and He's going to desire to fellowship with us. And boy, that's what we need. We need Jesus Christ in our homes, don't we? We need the fellowship of Jesus Christ to build unity in our families. And then when you commit to fellowshipping together as a family. Now, there ain't nothing necessarily wrong with bringing all the family in, you know, to watch a ball game. Yeah, that's, that's, all, that's all well and good. But when you commit to fellowshipping together under the banner of the Word of God, to sing, to pray, to preach, or to, to discuss the Word of God together as a family, I think the Lord is going to put a special notation in His book of remembrance for your family. And boy, that's where we want to be at, right? The Lord takes note of that. We need fellowship. We need fellowship to be encouraged, to be strengthened. And boy, the, the darker this world gets, we can't forsake the assembling of ourselves together in public worship, but we also can't forsake the assembling of ourselves together in fellowship. And we've got that built into our schedule for the most part here in Macedonia. Uh, don't neglect it. At least two Sundays a month, we have lunch that gives you the opportunity. And, and listen, I'm as guilty, y'all know, Y'all all interact with me, okay? Y'all know I'm just as guilty as anybody. What is the substance of my communication? What's the substance of my conversations? We don't need to waste the blessings of the opportunities of fellowship that we have together in eating together by talking about politics and athletics and the weather, okay? What should be the substance of our communication? The substance of our communication should be our common union of Jesus Christ, of those that fear the Lord together. But also, I also want to commend you. I'm glad that I've been to other churches. Not only do they not sing, but boy, they leave as soon as 
the amen, the last amen is said, they, they don't want to talk to anybody. They just skedaddle. We should have a desire to fellowship. And even if it's for just 30 minutes, even if I, for some reason, I, I would ask you as a member of Macedonian Church to commit to attending the fellowship lunches that we have. We only have it twice a month. But even if, if on a rare time, my schedule doesn't allow that, I still want to make sure that I invest in fellowship for 10 or 15 minutes with a brother and sister in Christ, okay? And I'm glad that we don't ski out right away. But you know what? We can still improve in our commitment to fellowship one with another because it's vitally important. It's just as important as public worship. Why? Because we fellowship with Jesus Christ in that fellowship in the same way we do in public worship. You want to know why public worship is just so much better? It's because you got so many more people together, <laughs> right? It's just magnified. It's just magnified. If you have two to three people having great fellowship, how much better is it you know, if you think about the parent, you know, the, the Lord is the parent. If I have two children that are that happy and joyful, I'm going to take special note of that. Boy, I'm going to get really happy when 30, 40, 100 of them get together, right? He's going to manifest himself in a much more, even more manifest way. But may the Lord bless us to make that commitment. Because joint participation has to go both ways. We have to be purposeful. We have to be purposeful. And I know I'm very neglectful in that regard to not be purposeful to do it, but also we have to be purposeful to set the topic of our conversations too, because inevitably they're just going to gravitate back to the language of the world and the conversation of the world. We have to be purposeful to do it, but we also have to be purposeful to speak about the Lord. And the Lord bless us to do that here in the kingdom of God. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.